Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. I was a little excited there. Great to see you. Welcome back. Let's pray and let's have some fun. See what happens here. Uh, gosh, we're into the we're into the green season now, so that's uh, always fun because it's about how you grow up being a Christian. So good to see you and see what would happen here. Okay, let me think here. Trinity, one after Trinity, that's us. He who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. And we're going to hear about that in First John, because the Father sends the Son. That's Luke 10. So listen to Jesus, that's the point. Almighty and everlasting God, you've given us the promise of the divine life. So bestow on us, we pray, your Holy Spirit, that quickened by your word, we may lay hold of eternal life by a strong faith in Christ, your Son. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, great to see you. I didn't know if I was going to make it back. I was at the um, Lutheran Malaria Initiative uh, in Minneapolis. So I was on a... It's amazing how many people are in the airport at 5 a.m. I mean, I was just... uh, There was some Christian youth group going somewhere overseas. They had passports. They made me lust in my heart. But... uh, (laughs) Instead, I came back to you. It's always so nice to come back. I mean, it's interesting when I go places and, um, you know, I talk to other pastors and it's, you know, it's, a, it's 40 people. They're pretty high-powered people because they're from all over, the, all over the United States and they have congregations that are doing a lot of stuff. I'm always thankful to come back and be with you. This is really quite a fantastic place. So um, I try to remember that, you know, every day. But when you go away and come back, you realize just how phenomenal the people are here and the place and the community. So thanks for that. It's really, really nice. Um, we should do something at some point uh, for the Lutheran Mal- Malaria Initiative. Um, you know, they're trying to, it's kind of cool. There used to be a kid that died every 60 seconds in Africa. It's starting to work. It's down to um, 60 plus 15, 75 seconds. So that's pretty good because if you think, you know, a kid every minute dies, and then, you know, if you, a minute plus 15, that takes the number down. So it's, it's very, very interesting. There's even talk by 2015, 16, 17 of a malaria vaccine, which would change the world. That would be an amazing kind of thing because so many people die from it. So at some point, uh, we probably have to drink some beer and do some good for malaria, but I'll let you know. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. I also heard, I heard talk of there are so many beer brewers in this con- con- congregation, they want to have their own Oktoberfest. What kind, of con- what kind of congregation has so many people who br- brew beer in their basement that they, that they have their own October? <laughs> A great one? Is that what you said? A great congregation. Okay, good. I just, I didn't, so I was looking for an adjective, and I, I didn't, great didn't come to mind, but you're exactly right. Didn't, didn't Dr. Luther actually marry a brewmistress? Is that true? Or did she become a brewmistress because she married Dr. Luther? <laughs> Is that true? Well, that's a fascinating bit of information. I have to say, I have to say, I don't think I've ever heard that that she was in charge of brewing the beer at the convent. Although you did know, I did mention this. I think did you know there were, there there's a Lenten fast where all you do is drink beer. Have you heard this? You give up food for Lent, but you just drink beer. And they have this special beer that they brew that's jammed with nutrients and all this kind of stuff, and you eat the sludge out of the bottom. But that's all you do. I know this because there was a journalist who did it, and then he wrote about it, and his boss like. You know, he, he, limit, he could only, like, drink every three hours because otherwise it wouldn't get any work out of him for six weeks. So, yes, it does, uh, it does, it does happen. So uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to work at that. That'll be fun. Uh, we're going to take a collection for Voice of Care. They, um, 
They always do uh, a thing for kids with needs at wall camp. They need supplies for that. It's 150 kids. It goes eight weeks. If you got a couple of bucks, throw it in the you know throw it in the basket. And Carol Hydorn will make sure that that gets to Don Kretschmar. So that's actually good work. What else is going on? Everything else okay? Um, Fourth of July float. You know you've done that off and on over the years. It's on this year. So if you if you want to help with the float, Steve Chester is your guy. That's always fun. If you want to. There's a board downstairs. You can sign up. That's, see, that's how organized life is. Well done. Yes, my friend. You're the board? There's going to be some photos taken in the comments the next two weeks for the float. So if someone walks up to you with a camera and says, can I take a picture, Oh, that's, that's, that's great, actually. Okay. Oh, I see. Yes, it's the theme is some sort of photographs of... Am I supposed to say that? Snapshots of St. John, is that the theme? So they're putting all your pictures on the float. That's the reason they're doing it. So it'll go down the street and people will see your picture. Isn't that fun? What's the matter? He said he's not coming to church then. Who said that? Mr. Buchholz? Yeah, I know. My dad was like that too. He'd rather have a tooth pulled than his picture taken. But, but ask your wife. You're a handsome man, Mr. Buchholz. I mean, come on. Uh, a guy like you... It's, it's his problem. He doesn't want to make other people feel bad. That's a good humility. All right. Uh, anything else? Any other troubles? Life's good. You know, go to the Eucharist, come back, travel safely. You know, it's, it's just, it's all good. So, all right, First John, you got it opened up? Here we go. Um, remember, uh, you know, we're going to just, mostly we're sticking together so that we can read a little bit and just keep you going. Uh, this is not too taxing. But what I do want you to try to remember what I gave you the first day, which is... Um, you know, just a little bit, just work on your devotions a little bit this summer. You know, you read the text slowly out loud. This is the Lectio Divina. You know, you read, the slowly, you read it slowly out loud. You think about it a little bit and um, see what strikes you from the text. That's the meditation part of it. You pray the text. You know, what does Jesus give you to say in the text? And then you um, think about how that text would apply in your life, the contemplation. You know, so you read the text slowly out loud. You know, you read the text slowly out loud. You say, this is the thing that strikes me about the text. You pray that part of the text. You pray the scriptures. You, know, you pray the Psalms. You pray the scriptures. And then you say, how would this fit in my life? And we'll, we'll just do this here in just a second. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really, really good. Okay, so just, we'll just, you know, we had a couple weeks off, so we should look at this at least. First um, John 1. That which was from the beginning, so immediately you're supposed to think not just of 1 John, but of John and, of, and Genesis, and you heard that in the Old Testament for today. That which was from the beginning, you know, which didn't have a beginning, begotten of the Father from eternity. You know, whatever happened in the beginning, you know, that, that's what we're on about. That which we've heard, that's which we've seen with our eyes, it gets better and better. You hear it, but you can hear sound. You see it with your eyes, but it could be an apparition. That's what we've looked upon and touched with our hands. You can't help but think about the Eucharist. You know, you touch the Eucharist with your hands. You know, that's, that's Jesus himself. Concerning the word of life, mine isn't capitalized, but I wish it was. You know, considering the word, big W, word of life, big L. The life was made manifest. That means it came among us, you know. We saw him full of grace and truth. That's epiphany. We saw it and we testified to it and we proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. So this, the Holy Trinity right now, you know, they're in this 
great burst of life, having a Eucharist this morning, and all the people whom you've loved and have gone forward in the faith, all the people who have died, they're all there, and there's this great eternal Eucharist going on, and it's, it's, it fills heaven with its beauty and its light. All of that is happening. That's what eternal life was. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. So, you know what? We love you, and we're going to tell you about this. And I, I was just thinking, we're probably at the point in the life of the congregation where... Um, you know, most people are going to join the church because of you, not because of me. Um, that's always true. Most people come to the church because somebody else says, I really love my church, I really love my people, I, I really love my friends there, I love Bible study, I love working on the float, I, there's a place for me. Um, you know, think about your friends who are unsatisfied, you know. And when you get the chance, ask them along. Because the only thing that really satisfies your heart is the touch of the Eucharist. I mean, it's the touch of Jesus, of course. That's the only thing that satisfies your heart. And if you have friends who are restless, um, you know, ask them to come along and we'll, you know, we'll work with them. We, we'll, you know, we'll talk with them. We'll try to give them the gifts that can, can satisfy because you're, you're about something that's bigger. You're about something that's eternal. You're about something that's light and not darkness. I, you know, I come to appreciate more and more um, how you try to live in the light and not in the darkness. So you know, anybody can live in the darkness. That's natural. But if you can create a community that lives in the light, with love and honesty, and that's just, you know, that's just beyond good. So you should be, as they proclaim to you, you want to proclaim gently to your friends who are unsatisfied. You know, you should come too, or you should come to, you should try, just, you should come, just come and be with Jesus. That's all you need to say. Just come and be with my friends, be with Jesus. It's right there in the text. This is how it works. We've seen and heard it, we proclaim. You've seen and heard it, you proclaim to other people. So that you may have... Fellowship, koinonia, the word for the Eucharist. So you may have Eucharist with us. Eucharist is both the eating and the drinking, but also the Eucharistic life. So that you can have a life of thanksgiving, that you can have a life of gratitude, that you can have a life of light, that you can have a, light where pe- a life where people are honest. You can, have, you can have a life where you can actually count on people. You know, it's, um, we're, really, we're really rotten. I mean, people are really rotten. We believe that. We confess original sin. We do sins. We're rotten to the core, but the great, you know, the great joy of the incarnation is that we can change, or better, we can be changed, passive verbs. We can be different. And if you, if you just, you know, if I could wish one thing for you, it would be the, a community that's, that's changed, that lives within the change. You, you remember that the word for repent is, is metanoia. The Greek word actually means to be turned around or to be changed. You actually get changed when somebody forgives your sins. You're a different kind of person now. You're a person without sins, a person whose sins have been forgiven, a person who's been taken out of the dark and put into the light, a person who used to be all alone and hateful and unsatisfied, and now you're together with other people in a community. I mean, here it is. It's right here in the text. You know, we're not making this up. This is, what, this is what the church is meant to be. The church is meant to be a Eucharistic community. Word, big W, the community that's founded on and empowered by and wrapped up in and drawn together by Jesus Christ who came from eternity to show us how to live. And, you know, it's the gospel for today, and Pastor Nelson was very good. You know, people see this and they think, you're crazy until they experience it. And if you can live in that forgiveness, if you can live in that light, it's an automatic draw to people. And you can say to people, I was, you know, very unsatisfied and I'm getting better. You know, that's, that's how the world works, okay? So we've seen it, we've heard it, we proclaim it to you so that you have fellowship with us, the body of Christ. 
And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. See, we're in this, there's this, uh, this thing going on in heaven today, and you're part of that. You know, and someday you get drawn up to the nearer presence. You just change, you know, you just change, commu- you know, you change communities, but it's the same community. But you're, you're, you're pulled out of this community into the other community. And we're writing this, and this is terribly important, we're writing this that our joy may be complete. And that's a fascinating thing because it's not, we so often think about my joy. My, I have my joy, and I hope you can all get good with it. <laughs> I hope you can all get good with what makes me happy. <laughs> you know, but That's not what the text says. The text says that your joy is complete when everybody else is pulled around with you. So your joy is complete in this room. This is how your joy gets complete. Your joy isn't complete until you're in community. That's why you can't stay home from church. You know, you might think you're happy, but you're not because your joy, you're, you're meant for community. The Trinity means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are constantly in community. They're constantly in community. We're made in their image, so we're, we need community. Now, some people need it more than others. My wife has a Facebook page. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I can only take so much of you, you know, and, every, and the rest of the world. I can only take so much, you know. It's funny because I was at this thing in Minneapolis and people were telling me about my family. I'm like, how do you know this? Well, you know, on your wife's Facebook. I'm like, I mean, they know more about me than I do. I mean, so, uh, I mean, I got to creep apparently occasionally. But, you know, but the point is, you know, you're really not meant to live all alone in the woods by yourself. Even, even, you know, guys who live out in the woods, ascetics, you know, somebody brings them food occasionally or they, you know, they need some help usually. So the joy isn't just in being solitary where you're king. The joy is being in community with Christ as king. Okay? And what you want to do is, by your very presence, you want to draw people into that community and let them be filled up and satisfied too. It always starts with the forgiveness of sins. That's where it always starts. But that's not the end. You know, it's the forgiveness of sins, and then we can live in a particular way because I know that you confess your sins, and I confess my sins, and I know you've been forgiven, so I don't have to worry about your sins, and I'm forgiven. You don't have to worry about my sins. And we can live together um, in joyfulness. And that's why, that's why church has always got to be a little bit on edge. You know, we always have to, that's why we confess. Confession puts us a little bit on edge. Because we have to come back and say, you know, this is what happened to me yesterday, the day before. This is what happened to me this week. We're always a little bit off balance because if, we, if we're not, then we become like um, the Old Testament reading for today when they ignore God and try to be self-sufficient. See? So you're not self-sufficient. You're not self- you need Christ and you need others. That's community. Yes, David? I mean, that's, that's the best thing. And, and people often, I can't tell you how often I've heard that, that people will, you know, not take a new job because they don't want to leave Wheaton, because they don't want to leave St. John. They'll, you know, they'll move closer because they want to be closer to the congregation. That means that you're extraordinarily important to these people. And we should, we should really treasure that. And, you know, that's why, that's why the, the kindness and love is so important um, as we live together in community. Um, I was nosing around today, and I... I um, I came across Ephesians 5. Um, listen to this. I mean, this is the same stuff. It's Paul, but it's the same. Ephesians 5, 8. For once you were of darkness, but now you are of light in the Lord. Once you were all scattered and you were dark. Once you were of darkness, now you're of light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. See? 
It's the simplest thing. It's the simplest division. There's light and there's darkness. All our deeds are meant to be in the light. None of our deeds are meant to be in the darkness. Walk as children of the light. Stay in the light. You can go anywhere else, anywhere in the light. You can go anywhere in the light. Have fun. Just don't go in the darkness. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Isn't that great? So you can do it if it's good and right and true. If it's in the light, it's good and right and true. That's why it's so easy to tell what's a sin and what's not a sin. If it's in the light, you're fine. If it's not in the light, it's always going to destroy. It's going to break you. So spend your life trying to discern. That's the Greek word for sifting. When you put something in a sieve and you shook it, you know, and the stuff, the bad stuff falls down, the good stuff is caught. Spend your life sifting, trying to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Don't take part in unfruitful works of darkness. So never touch the darkness. Isn't that great? Never touch the darkness. But instead, expose them. And this is the hard part, because, you know, I bet... I bet nobody under my age has ever seen an excommunication. You know, I'm 50-something, 54. I had a friend who sent me, I was in a car getting back here, and he said, Happy Father's Day. Isn't it next week? It's next week, isn't it? Yeah, right. Because I told the vicar to put a Father's Day prayer in for today, too. I'm glad I didn't go home and grump around at my family. And, like, if I was passive-aggressive, because I've been in Minnesota where everybody's (laughs) passive-aggressive... Being in the airport was so weird with all that. It was, it was unbelievable. This woman cut in line. There were 60 people in line. This woman cut in line. Nobody said a thing. I'm thinking, if this would have happened in New Jersey when we lived there, the woman would be bloody and banged up on the floor. But everybody would have known where everybody was. I mean, everybody would have felt good about it. Instead, you know, all these people from Minnesota just, just went like this. But nobody said a word. I'm like... Expose the darkness. She cut in front of you. Expose the darkness. So, uh, you know, we're not very good at this, but maybe we should. But we we need to learn to do it gently because we have to remember we're all in the same boat, right? You know, expose people's darkness, you know, kindly, gently. Um, um, Anything that's exposed to the light, when it becomes visible... um, But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. So you want to try to add a long conversation, actually, with uh, a guy who's on the board of directors from Synod last night about um, how much honesty we can all take. It was very interesting. It's been one of the hardest things for me as a pastor to figure out. And the elders here have been extraordinarily helpful with this, which, you know, how much light can people take? How much honesty does it need to come in bits and pieces? Um, you know, when do you lack courage? When do you have courage? It's a, it's a, it's a delicate thing um, because exposing people and exposing ourselves can often come off as um, kind of being better than somebody else. It's really why you need to go to confession and see a spiritual advisor, somebody who loves you and knows you, who can just say to you, you know, the reason you have that problem is because you're just, just too full of yourself. Or the reason you have that problem is you have an unconfessed sin and this is what it is. Uh, but someday, someday, you know, Lutherans used to be very good at that. Someday it'll come back to us. Verse 5, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. On the very first day, what did God do? Let there be light, and there was light. And it was good, and it was evening and morning the first day. See, we get restoration of Eden. If we say we have fellowship with him, so if we say we go to the Eucharist, if we say we're part of the community, if we say we're part of the body of Christ, if we say we're the priesthood of all believers, all those things kind of mean the same thing. 
If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, Ephesians, walk as children of the light. Don't walk in darkness. If we walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't live according to the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. I saw the coolest thing this morning. Um, one of the, I just happened to be standing there. One of the old men in the congregation was talking to one of the young men in the congregation and slipped him a, um, what was a silver dollar. That connection, that kind of kindness, because more than the dollar, what that said to the kid is, you belong here. That's the coolest thing. For no good reason. You know, the kid didn't really want to take it, and then he finally did. He wanted to take it, but he, his parents have taught him, you know. Yeah, he, so, you know, he finally took it. But basically, that kid will never forget that. And that old man said to that young man, you're part of my community. Isn't that great? Cost him a buck. That's the best buck he'll ever spend, you know. Because you're saying to him, you belong here. You're part of the community. There was a lot of kid noise in the first service, wasn't there? Were you there? More than normal. I was like, I've got like the Hot Wheels car. That's a Hot Wheels car where they're drum crashing on the floor. I'm like, here's the thing. It's okay. Because kid, did you see? I don't know what it was. You see how happy all the kids were this morning? I mean, it was great. They're hugging each other. They're having hot chocolate. They're all splashed full of water. You know, they're sitting together. They got straws up their nose. It's fantastic. You know, they're, you just can't, you know, that's what you're trying to build. You can't. You couldn't, you can't pay money for something like that. So if you can walk in the light and you can be kind and you can be good models and you can love other people and you can draw them in and you can say you're part of the deal, you know, ah, there's nothing else like it. That's where joy comes from. If we say we have fellowship, we walk in darkness, we lie and don't live according to the truth, you're going to recognize this as the confession we say, of course. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. That's pure Eucharistic talk, of course. I mean, koinonia is the word for fellowship, but it's the technical word for the Eucharist. So if we have the Eucharist with each other, the blood of Jesus forgives us and makes us a community. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, you know, and we're not very grateful then for forgiveness. The truth isn't in us, but if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. See the glory of the liturgy there? You know some stuff by heart. Isn't that great? Not making it up what's going If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. I mean, like the gospel for today. He's crazy. I mean, that's telling Jesus he's a liar. He's saying Jesus comes to these people and he says, this is the way the world is. And they say, you're crazy. And he's like, well, you know, if you think I'm crazy, that can't be forgiven. I can't help you. And that's what he means when he says there's an unforgivable sin. He means... I can't help you. If you won't have the gift, I, I, I can't help you. Here's the gift, you know. So, yes, please. I don't know. Do you know what it was? I mean, you know a little Greek. Do you know what it was? Do you know what the word was? Yeah. Well, the easiest way for me is, in fact, um, I, had a, I had three. I was supposed to give a, a talk or two yesterday, and I had three different ones written, and I didn't. The one I didn't give... Um, um, one of the interesting things about this malaria thing is it unites people. This is quite a pan-Lutheran thing, so there were all kinds of Lutherans in this room united toward one thing, and I was musing about why. Um, I was thinking about what I could say to this pan-Lutheran group that would unite them. And so you have you know, liberal and conservative, Missouri Senate, ELCA, other people. You have liturgical, you have contemporary, you have all these people, and they're very high-powered people. I mean, they, they 
are either really smart or they have a lot of money or they have a very high position in the Senate. And you put them all in one room and there's a lot of firepower going on. And you try to think what you can say that would hold them all together. I, I didn't use this because I was afraid it was too sharp, but I thought I was going to say um, malaria is wrong. And I mean that in the deepest sense. When you're sick, it's wrong. And of course, so that answers your question in a way, which is Jesus comes to make wrongs right. So all those words hang together. What's just? What's right? What's righteous? What's light? What's good? What's true? What's best? All those words, you know, those are all scripture words, and they all fit together, but they all come under the rubric of, and I got this from Arthur Just, you know, I mean, it's, it's great to have smart friends. Jesus makes wrongs right. And I would, I would just take it in that sense to be, you know, the opposite of just is injustice or unjust, right? The opposite of righteousness is unrighteous. Absolutely. Right. Right, but it doesn't stop there because, you know, it, he makes you so right that you're going to go home and take out the garbage and do the dishes for Karen. I mean, that's how right Jesus has made you today. See, because, because that's always the first thing. He makes you right, and then you live in righteousness, right? And when you live in righteousness, you have joy. And joy is the word of everything. Joy is what's happening in heaven right now, where everything is, everything works, okay? So that's about how far we'd gone before we took, you know, a couple weeks off to do all kinds of other things. You okay with that? Okay, now we'll go to chapter two. This gets really fun. My little children. Now, I'm just going to observe... Um, this is in the fourth commandment, and it's in the Lutheran confessions. Um, this is why you call your pastor father. I mean, I mean here it is. He says, to, this is, you, you know, you think it comes from some weird place. This is where it comes from, because this is a pastor's relationship to his congregation. I mean, he is the pastor of this congregation. So he's father to them, the way you're father to your biological children, um, this is an aside. Um, I'm not stumping for it. I'm just saying uh, this is where it comes from. My little children. You know? And that's the relationship a pastor is meant to have with his congregation. Um, it's one relationship. There are, of course, many others because um, I'll just say for myself, the old men that I've had in my congregations, especially as elders, have been very helpful to me. So it's very strange to um, you know, be father to them in some sense, but it, there's a lot of things going on, but it's not so odd maybe as you think it is. And what you're always trying to do is recover parts of scripture that would help our relationships. So already in this one chapter, we've already recovered that we put, we expose darkness, we put some light on it, and that's good for us, it makes us happy. That we draw people in, it's the touch of the Eucharist that puts us together that we can drop the pretense of acting like we don't have any sins because we all come. It's the best thing about the liturgy. You know, the first thing you say in the liturgy is I'm baptized, and the second thing you say is I'm a damn sinner. And that just levels the playing field. And your pastor says it too. Everybody says it all together. Boom! We all say it. And then we don't have to live with the pretense that, you know, I'm better than the guy who's next to me. You know, and then we can live. After that, of course, we can live because there are people who are more mature and less mature and People who are older, people who are younger, people who can, you know, who, who love comes easily or prayer comes easily, and people it doesn't. But you know what? That's we've all got something like that. It's just, it's just, just this is just. It's great how this works out. You know, my little children, I'm writing this to you, so that you may not sin. This is basic stuff. I've, I, you know, 
as somebody said to me once, you know, better than I could say it to me, so you're telling me my sins aren't good for me. I'm like, I wish I'd have said it that well, you know? <laughs> yeah, what I'm telling you is your sins aren't good for you. You know, don't touch that. No matter how attractive that looks, don't touch that. It's not good for you. No matter how good it might feel, you don't touch that. That'll be That'll be the end of you. You think it's good for you. Don't touch that. My little children, I'm writing you this so that you may not sin. So you don't touch that. Don't touch that. It's not good for you. But if anyone does touch it, anyone does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So, I mean, just like, you know, when Jesus comes to somebody and they have leprosy and he touches them and they're healed, boom. When the blind man, he, you know, he touches the guy's eyes, he spits on him and rubs him, and ah, the guy can see, you know? In the same way with your sins, with his touch, he pulls your sins right out of you. So good. My little children, I'm writing this so that you may not sin, but if anybody does sin, we've got an advocate, you know, a friend. Um, we've got somebody who'll speak for you to the Father. You know, he's a big brother. He'll, he'll, he'll work it out for you. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the expiation for our sins. He's the payment. Expiation is the, he's the one that's in place of. Expiation is the Passover lamb. That's the expiation. Somebody's got to die here. The Passover lamb dies so you don't have to. He's the expiation. He, he expiates. He cleans up. He washes up. He, he pays off. He redeems. All those words. He's the expiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. I actually, I'm always struck in a crowd. In fact, I thought about it this time when I was um, in, in the airport this morning. I'm looking at all these people, pleasant and unpleasant, you know, beautiful and not beautiful, you know, tired and cranky. It was at the, I got, I got to the Minneapolis airport at 5 a.m. I woke up at, you know, I felt great. I was, I was up before 4. I woke up before my alarm at 5 to 4. I'm thinking, I'm going to have the whole place to myself place is jammed. What sort of people fly someplace on Sunday morning if they don't have to get back to church? They weren't all going to church. I don't know where they were going, but so they're cranky and it's early and people and they've dropped stuff and they've lost stuff and they're jamming in lines and it was, you know, and you think to yourself, I mean, at one point I'm thinking, I mean, you guys, sometimes you look at people and you go, you know, Jesus died for that person too. It's a stunner because frankly, you or I wouldn't do it, (laughs) to be honest with you. I mean, we wouldn't lend him 10 bucks. We wouldn't hold the door for him. You know, we wouldn't let him cut in front of us in traffic. And Jesus is expiation for him. It's a remarkable kind of love. You know, it really is something. And it, this, see, this is the thing that makes a church, a community attractive. If you, can, if you can just together learn to love in that way, where love means you don't tell people their darkness is okay. You say, hey, let's get some light on that. And we know what that's like because we were in darkness too. So it's not just, you know, but it's gentle and it's, and it's not self-serving. And it's so difficult because we want to use that to make ourselves better than other people. And it's just not so, you know. Instead, we're saying something more like, I understand. This congregation, I was thinking about this too. I think I, I should, you should give me like three days off a week because I think more about you when I'm away from you than I'm when I'm with you. Uh, I do. Everything freshens up, you know. I'm just like, you know, I, and that, and that, and, you know. Um, I'd say one of the most striking things is um, in this congregation, one of, the, one of the best, coolest, most loving things is the way that women who've had breast cancer, past tense, 
always take care of the new women who are struck with breast cancer. I've marveled at that ever since I've been here. Never asked them to do it. They found each other, never even hooked people up. They knew how to do it, and it was the empathy of, yeah, I used to be like that, and I can help you through. It's an exact analogy for sin. Yeah, that used to hurt, that used to hurt me, but, and I know what that's like, I know what you're going through, but hey, I can show you a better way, and I can help you get through. Does that make sense to you? We understand it in a physical way. We understand physical illness in that way. But we need to understand spiritual illness in the same way so that when people have sins, we don't say to them, I'm better than you. We say to them, oh, man, that's not good for you. I can help you out of that. I know the way out. And you see, that's why older men and older women in the faith are really good for us because they can show you the way out. They can remind you, don't touch that. It's not good for you. And then when you touch it, they can say, okay, I can help you, you know, kind of clean that up and get back in the light. Does that make sense? You see how cool this is? It's just, it's the best stuff. So, um, verse 3. Sorry, question. Yes, please. Um, expiation is the act of the doing of it. So Jesus is an expiation. and his, So that's the action of the, the death. Propitiation, the Father is propitiated, satisfied. So it's two sides of one coin. The Son's action satisfies the Father. He's propitiated by the expiation. That's a great question. That's a, that's a great question. So, but there are two sides of say, and sometimes you hear it one way. If you're talking about the Father, you talk about propitiation. If you talk about the Son, you talk about expiation. Does that feel right? Yeah, I just, I got a Greek yeah right, sure, good. Oh, it says propitiation in yours? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Usually it has to do, well, the words to, in English, so um, we'd have to go back and take a look and, you know, who knows. You'd, you'd, but we'd have to go look at a dictionary because I'm not sure that, it'd be interesting to, well, we'll have to quiz that out and see who's right. But anyway, it's, this, it's two sides of the same coin. They're not antithetical. So Jesus does this, and the Father is done to, if you will. He's satisfied. Jesus does the work, the Father is satisfied. Make sense? Good, thank you. Great. It's a great question. It's technical, but it's a great question because it shows how they work together. Want to keep going? This is so much fun. All right, here you go. And by this, we may be sure that we know him. And that's actually, you know, this is how you're sure. Some people say, how do you know you're a Christian? Or how do you know you're saved? Or how do you know God loves you in spite of the troubles that you have? How do you know? How do you know? By this... We may be sure that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now, that makes me a little nervous um, because I'm not so good at that. He who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandment is a liar. So now I just give you a pithy little thing that every sin is a lie. In some sense, every sin is a lie because every sin is a betrayal. I've been thinking about this a little bit. I think I said this to you before, but if I didn't, I'll say it now. Um, Every sin starts with a lack of gratitude. If you always remembered who God was and who you were, you wouldn't sin. If you remember who God is and what he's done for you, you'd be so thankful that you'd never sin because you wouldn't want to spoil the relationship, break the community. But whenever we sin, we actually betray him. That's why the Judas sin is such a powerful thing. Every sin is wrapped up in that. Here's Jesus who's about to be expiation for him to propitiate the Father. 
And at the very moment that's going to happen, what does Judas do? Sells them out. Ah, so painful. Every sin is betrayal, right? And so, um, you know, every sin is a lie. A betrayal is a lie. I tell you I'm your friend and I'm really not. I stab you in the back. You know, I tell you I'll always stand by you and I don't. So, ah, it's so painful. You know, by this we may be sure you know him that we, see, we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, but disobeys his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, so keeps his word, walks in the light, lives in community, lives in righteousness. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly, love for God is perfected. Now, it's a process, you see. Your, sal- your, your justification is not a process. When Jesus says to you, I baptize you, or I forgive you, or he puts his body and blood into you, that's all done. But growing up in the faith, that's a process. And the easiest way to grow up in the faith is to touch holy things. So you touch the Eucharist, touch the Eucharist, touch the Eucharist, read your text, read your text, read your text. Say your prayers, say your prayers, say your prayers. Confess your sins and be forgiven. Confess your sins over and over and over again. And when you do that, what happens is, is that you're changed. You know, it makes, it makes an imprint on you is how the scripture talks. It's the word that's used for imprinting a coin. It stamps you. It puts you into a mold. You know, and, and sometimes for some of you, it's like, you know, when they have to hammer it on the anvil, you know. But then some, you, you know, some, some of you come along a little more easily. But he, you're, you're, you're perfected. That means you've become more and more Christ-like. It's when Paul says, be like me to the young guys. Timothy and Titus, be like me. It's when Jesus says, if you follow me, right? That's the perfection of it. You get better and better at holiness. And then, of course, your joy gets bigger and bigger. And that's why it's so important in congregation. You see, you see, can you see how this is all fitting together now? So more light, more light, more light means more obedience, more obedience, more obedience, which means more perfection, more perfection, more perfection, which means more joy, more joy, more joy. You see that? Do you see how this works? So we always think about sinning as ruining our fun. It's just the opposite. You know, holy, holiness is what creates fun. It's not false holiness. But I've got to tell you, I'm so impressed by, you know, that buck being give to that, given to that kid, that kid will never forget that. That's an act of holiness. You know, an act of embrace. You know, he said, you know, you're a good, good kid. You could probably use this. That kind of stuff makes a church. That makes a church. Because it just, it just, it, you're just saying to people, I love you, you're part of it. You know, that just, it just changes people. So that kid will never be the same. Now, if that happens every time, every time, every time, it's sort of rising tide lifts all boats. Yes, Peter. Just getting going. Um, okay. Uh, one more verse. Whoever keeps his word, in him, in him the love for God is truly perfected. By this we may be sure that we're in him. He who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So you put your feet in Jesus' footsteps. That's how you know. You do the things that Jesus does. I mean, the best and worst words are, um, you know, a scripture. When did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you needy? When did we see you in jail? When did we ever help you? Jesus says, you did it, you did it, you did it to others, you did it to me. I'm in every stranger. And, of course, the other side is true, too, where Jesus just exasperated, says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you do that? 
You say I'm Lord, which in the ancient world meant I'm everything to you. I'm your benefactor. I'm your father. I'm the one who cares for you. I pave the roads. I make the sunshine. I do everything for you, and you don't listen to me. That's the, those are the most horrible words in Scripture. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You don't do what I say. The best words are, you did it unto me. I'm in every stranger, you see? And so holiness becomes habitual. Now, I'm just, you know, not saving holiness, but it's the effect of saving holiness. It's holiness lived out. I'm not saying your good works save you. I'm saying once you get saved, you do tons of good works. That's what I'm saying. Right there it is. And that's what the Christian life is meant to be. And when you do that, you build a kind of community where everybody is joyful and people break down the doors to get in because you can say to your friends, you should come see what I've got. You should come meet my friends at church. You should come see how they treat kids. You should, you should come and see it. Because people will love you and they'll stand by you and it'll be great. And then, of course, for the rest of us, what we need to do is love and stand by people and make it great. Make sense? It's, you know, it's what you want. It's, you know, it's not always easy, but it's the very, very best thing. Okay, there you go. Um, we'll play a little more next week or something. Uh, anyway, go to the Eucharist. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Yeah, good. It's just great, great to see you.